You are listening to FYN Unscripted, a podcast from the Federal Youth Network. Join us as we explore some of the realities, challenges, and motivations of public servants working within the Government of Canada. All of our episodes are available in both English and French. Si vous préférez écouter en français, un épisode sur le même sujet est également disponible sur ce canal. So welcome to FYN Unscripted. My name is Aaron Cates, and I'm happy to host this episode of NYN Unscripted, the podcast from the Federal Youth Network. I would like to begin by acknowledging that I am recording this episode from Winnipeg. Winnipeg is located within Treaty No. 1 territory, the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Inanu, Ojukri, Dene, Dakota, and the birthplace of the Métis Nation and heart of the Métis Nation homeland. Today on the podcast, we're going to explore the concept of camping versus climbing. This concept can be summed up by the fact that sometimes throughout one's career, there are times when we are in the midst of a transformation, learning new skills, working hard and moving towards our next opportunity. Climbing the ladder, but sometimes there are also times when we are looking for stability, security, and et cetera, and periods that we will refer to as camping. Basically, this concept allows you to imagine your career as a mountain hike. Yes, we want to climb the mountain to our personal summit, but this journey can also be inter interperceived with periods of camping where we can recharge our batteries to better undertake the next step towards the summit of our career. With our two guests today, we want to explore this concept and see how we can balance the two, to see how we can apply the philosophy to the government of Canada. To accompany us in this discussion, I am pleased to welcome two seasoned public servants, Jessica Zeruel and Erica Stevens-Rennie. To begin this conversation, I invite Jessica and Erica to introduce yourselves and even present your career in the public service according to the times you have climbed and sometimes camp. Jessica, the floor is yours to begin and Erica, you can follow. Awesome, thank you so much, Aaron and Erica and Federal Youth Network for having me. Uh, as Aaron mentioned, my name is Jessica Zehual. I am the Manager for Research and Design Operations at the Digital Experience and Client Data Workstream at Service Canada. So my team is responsible for building the platform for Canadians to access their benefits and services. Now, I'll be quite honest with you, my career did not start as glamorously as many in the public service. Uh, I actually, in 2017, was working for a staffing firm. <laughs> so I was working in the private sector and human resources. I had actually uh, finished a master's. I had both domestic and international experience in research, both quantitative and qualitative. Um, so it was a little bit disheartening, you know, finishing your master's and not really having any GC prospects. I didn't really feel like going back internationally, uh, which I had done in the past. I was trying to kind of really find myself here in Canada. Um, so in the meantime, I filled my time with being a, a staffing consultant. Um, and interestingly enough, one of my clients uh, was at Employment and Social Development Canada. She was looking for a staffing consultant. And I was like, I have the perfect person for you. Um, and in return, I would love to have coffee with you. Uh, so it was very customary for a person uh, who is placing somebody in a department to have coffee with their clients. 
Um, so I met up with her in about July 2017. Uh, so beautiful summer day, made my way to phase four and Partage and Gatineau. Um, and I remember her asking me specifically uh, why I decided to work in HR. And I was very blatantly honest and I said, you know, uh, nobody would hire me in the government and I can't find myself a research job that's well paying. Um, so I decided that um, this would be ideal. And in the meantime, I actually do a lot of pro bono work uh, for the city of Ottawa. I do a lot of youth programming. I have been doing so for the last 10 years. Uh, and she was like, that sounds really awesome. I'm actually going to be changing positions and I'm going to be a manager on the prime minister's youth service initiative. And we're looking to staff an administrative assistant. Now, I know it's not ideal considering the fact you have research experience, but it could be a good foot in the door. Uh, disclaimer, you have to apply for it. Uh, so I applied for my casual and luckily actually uh, left my six figure permanent job with benefits to take a AS1 casual contract in the public service. Uh, is it a risk? Absolutely. Uh, I'll be the first person to admit that my parents, my friends, uh, even my research colleagues and peers were just like, hey, Jess, this is like a really big risk and you're going to be an admin. And I was like, you know what? I, it's a start. And it was a fantastic start. And I actually have a lot of respect for administrative and clerical support because they are genuinely the backbone of organizations. Now, I will say I was a pretty terrible admin. Uh, I think my DG back then would claim um, I was also a bad admin, considering the fact that I walked into a meeting where they were talking about youth engagement, what they were going to be doing. And I was like, you know, I'm actually, I know you, you're, you're not looking for an opinion here, but you might want to consider this. And this might be actually the best approach, considering the fact that young people actually have really fantastic ideas and really fantastic opinions. And when I left, apparently the DG looked at my director and went, isn't that your admin? And he was like, sort of, kind of. And then I found myself actually with a term EC2. Uh, so I ended up being a junior analyst. And here I am like gradually climbing, you know, I'm like, yeah, I finished a casual yeah, okay, I'm getting a term. And uh, I actually had the best first year of the public service, even though it was a really, really slow start or a really very risky start. Uh, I ended up being the lead for youth outreach. So I ended up actually doing all the engagement with young Canadians across the country. So I traveled to all provinces, all territories. Here I am like living the public servant researcher life. Um, and, you know, by 2018, we announced a national signature program, you know, the Canada Service Corps. Here I am living the glory days. How the heck am I going to beat this? How am I going to find another opportunity where I'm really going to be able to feel like I'm genuinely contributing to the lives of Canadians? Um, and unfortunately, my boss wouldn't make me permanent. And it wasn't uh, something that he was willing to do because budgetary wise or what was going on in the organization. Uh, so I ended up finding myself in the innovation lab and that I was climbing a little bit. So I went from being a junior uh, analyst, junior researcher who was doing the lead work to uh, a mid-level researcher in the innovation lab. So I went from climbing quite quickly and then I camped. I camped for about two years and um, sometimes you have to camp and that's because I had a lot to learn about government research. Yes, I had done field work in Rwanda uh, and in East Africa and in Switzerland and in Canada uh, for the nonprofit sector, but it was very different coming from government context. So I feel like I worked with 
the creme de la creme of researchers in the public service, which are now all dispersed. Everybody is uh, in different innovation labs or innovation teams. Um, but I learned a lot in the two years. So I camped because I needed to get that growth in order to maybe take on leadership roles and really know where in research uh, I stood next to my peers. So it was a really, really awesome learning curve. If I'm going to give you any career advice is it's okay to start at the beginning, even with experience, even with a degree, um, coming in with a humble desire to want to be better is actually going to make your work a lot better and it's going to make your relationships a lot better. So uh, I went from camping for two years and then I actually had a short stint at TBS. Uh, so I worked on the future of work. I absolutely loved it. It was again, a camp. It was a horizontal move. Um, and I worked on some pretty interesting stuff with some pretty interesting people and it was not the right fit. So sometimes you camp and you camp for a short amount of time and you're like, wow, I don't think I'm made for this climate. And you start questioning yourself in your career. And um, I think that's healthy. I think sometimes people feel like, ooh, I'm starting to question uh, everything is falling apart. But I think it shows true resilience. And if you feel like you're not building your resilience enough, focus on that. Um, because you learn to walk away from something that, you know, maybe it wasn't the right fit for you. Maybe they weren't the right fit for you either. Uh, sometimes it's mutual. I like to think that. Um, and I landed back at ESDC. So I used Twitter uh, to tweet about how I was looking to connect with different public servants and knowing different work that was happening in the GC in relations to research. And I was lucky enough to have Sylvie Berube, uh, who is an ADM at Service Canada, reach out to me and she's like, I'm going to have a coffee with you. Uh, and we are totally cool now, which is really, really awesome to say. because uh, She's absolutely lovely. And she put me in touch with Tammy Belanger and I had a great conversation with her and I came back home. I call ESDC and Service Canada my North Star of the public service because my North Star is serving Canadians. It's really trying to get them exactly what they need so that they can live a very fulfilled life. Um, so I climbed and I climbed and here I am now, five years later in the public service, a manager, uh, which for me is where I will be camping for a little while. Uh, because I think it's really important to not zoom too fast. And I have to say, it feels pretty sweet to be in this spot and to be camping in a place where the climate is really good, the support is exceptional, and I get to do things that are not only deliverables for the department. I get to work on like culture, DNI, I'm teaching at the school. So there's a lot of really great things that you can do while you camp that sometimes we feel like, oh, I need to be climbing in order to get there. No, sometimes you just need to take in the scenery uh, and see what can develop both in your relationships, you personally with the department. And on that note, uh, I'm gonna pass it over to Erica. So hopefully that was an interesting and non-linear way to say that it's okay to hit a few bumps on the road um, and try different things. So over to you, Erica. Thanks, Jessica. It's so nice to hear that story from you. I love how closely you stuck to the metaphor. I'm going to try to do the same, um, but we'll see if I do as well as you. <laughs> so thanks again to, to Finn um, and Aaron for, for hosting this. It's such a, such a, I think, such a neat conversation and one that I certainly have grappled with and felt varying degrees of comfort with over the course of my career. So um, off the top, I'll say I'm joining you from the unceded territory of the Shanaiks peoples in the lands colonially known as British Columbia. 
I became a public servant right after doing my master's at U of T. And it was just, for me, it was like just one of many jobs I was applying for. I had worked for a city building organization in Toronto now called Civic Action, which is an incredible organization and really thought that that would, that would probably be where I'd make my career. But I'd done my master's in um, policy and um, political science. And when TBS came back with an offer to join their development program, I kind of thought, maybe I have like some sort of professional sort of like not an obligation, but like I'm a political scientist. I should dabble there and just like see if maybe another level of government um, was was of interest to me. So that's how I joined. And I'll say um, it was a development program, so it did have climbing in it. I was able to sort of um, increase my position level a number of steps within only a few years. And I would say if you're new to the public service and you can find your way into, the, into a development program, I think those are great ways to climb within the stability of a program. Um, many of the programs are like this. And, and in that, like my experience was that I had this incredible set of colleagues and an organization that was really geared towards helping um, the people in the development program kind of thrive and grow in their careers. And so there was this sense of stability, mentoring, coaching, a real desire to see us succeed. Um, and, and at the same time, that climbing. So that for me, that was a great landing point. I was at uh, the Treasury Board Secretariat for, uh, I guess it was four years. And then in 2011, um, a coach asked me, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And so for me, it was just really clear. I would move back to BC where I was born, where I'm from. And so that year, my partner and I um, set a goal of moving back to BC by the end of that year with jobs or January 1st, the following year without jobs. Given the Vancouver real estate market, we were both very, very lucky that we did land work. Um, so I moved to Vancouver in October 2011 to take a job at Fisheries and Oceans, a really interesting place to land in British Columbia, because I think DFO on both coasts is just such a such an important, um, you know, a service to Canadians in that coastal context. So it was a really neat way to land and experience the things that were important in the region. So um, it was a neat introduction to the different kind of indigenous conversa conversations with indigenous peoples that we were having on the coast. Um, the importance of like looking at and wrestling through the policy implications of um, fish, aquaculture, fishing allocations. How do, you, and how do you figure that out for settlers alongside figuring that out with um, indigenous people? Um, who have territorial cultural rights to those same resources. So that was a really interesting context for me. I really grew and changed. I was camping. It was a lateral move for me. Um, but on the other hand, I was really growing in my, in my skill set. I learned a lot there about consultations and working with Indigenous peoples and, and working in this um, in this new context in British Columbia for me, which was working in a region versus working in the NCR. And I'll say I knew when I was moving to British Columbia, I knew that I was um, going to be working in a region. And so I knew that I would likely have to be more comfortable with camping. And I'll say at the time, like that didn't sit well with me entirely. I was moving to BC to a city I loved and desperately wanted to work for. But I moved at the same time that people who entered the development program with me were taking their next step outside of the program and, and moving up. And I was moving on, but not up. And I that took a long time to wrestle through for me. 
Um, after DFO, I spent five years um, as a senior advisor to a regional director at Environment Canada. Again, like super interesting context, lots of um, interesting resource development projects happening in and around the Pacific region, um, many of them super political. Uh, this was at a time initially where there was, um, initially it was the conservative government and then a liberal government was elected and lots of policy, political change at that time. Lots of new conversations around social license and how we get that for some of these projects. And of course, lots of people in the community who cared very deeply about what was gonna be built in their backyard. And so I, again, I learned a lot but I was camping. Um, I was an EC5 and I was one of only, I think maybe 10 EC5s in the Pacific region at Environment Canada. Um, I have found as a regional employee that there's real, managers are faced with real challenges around um, how to help people advance in their careers. I was applying um, to various competitions and getting in the pool and then finding that the position was then given to somebody who was already working at that department. It wasn't that I was less qualified, it was that they were choosing a known entity and someone who'd in lots of cases been there for a long time and had kind of um, felt, felt like maybe a safer option for that manager or a way of doing sort of like retention of their current employees. And, and that's legitimate as when, you know, when I've been a manager, like I understand that. Um, but it, it again was just like, I needed to be really comfortable with camping and for finding opportunities while I was camping to go on, let's call them day hikes. Um, so during that time, uh, I had some amazing opportunities, including a short-term micro mission. It was full-time, but short-term micro mission supporting a deputy minister committee on policy innovation. Um, I had my two children during that time, and I did some amazing things outside of work as well, including co-founding um, a multifamily housing development company. It was a $14 million project, and we built 31 units of um, housing in Vancouver, which is which is like a real victory. So, you know, that's like a for me, that experience outside of my work was totally um, like side hustle. Uh, that was where I, I was stretching and growing and climbing at that period of time. And frankly, the fact that I was camping in my job enabled me to do those things outside of work. And that's something for me, that was a big lesson. And one that I have come to hold dear as I realize that there are lots more things outside of work that I want to do. Um, in 2017, I became one of Canada's free agents and this ended up being my exit from Environment Canada. I couldn't find a way to, to get to a higher level position at Environment Canada. And I wasn't having a lot of luck doing that elsewhere in Pacific region, but I became one of Canada's free agents. Since then, I've worked in seven different organizations and I've had this incredible ability to enhance my skills and learn new ones. And um, I've done everything from running large scale events, writing policy and reports, developing new programs, working on teams, working alone, um, redesigning internal processes, like it's run the gamut and it's been an incredible ability to grow and change. Um, I think in some ways you could see the free agent program as camping, right? It's on the one hand, it's not a development program. And on the other hand, I have had the opportunity to act at um, higher levels than my substantive. Um, my substantive has remained the, the same uh, during my time as a free agent. But for me, it's really felt a lot of the time like climbing. Um, and I've also, I did a couple of like climbing um, for a couple of assignments in a row. And I sort of realized that I needed after that to camp. Like I'd been working um, initially on a large scale event and if, if you've ever done event management, like it just is total hours suck. 
you end up working like two full-time jobs in the immediate sort of lead up to the event. And then the aftermath of everyone else goes home and you're like, oh God, let the cleanup begin, right? And so I think um, that for me, I, I discovered like I actually needed camping to restore and recharge. And so for me, a pattern that I have found works really well is I choose work that gives me a little bit of a stretch. Maybe I'm learning something new. I'm applying skills that I've only newly learned. Uh, and then after that, I frequently choose work that allows me to settle in. So for me, um, I love biking. Uh, for me, I compare it to like, you know, you go for a big uh, bike ride or maybe a run and you really exert yourself. And at the end of that, you don't just like, you know, keep going and go for another one. And you also don't just like put your bike on the shelf and like sit and maybe sometimes you like sit and have a, have a, have a drink or whatever, but, but the best practice really is to like do some stretching, some yoga, maybe like tell your body it's time to, to chill and um, integrate that big workout that you've done. There's a lot of good lessons that come out of um, the like adult learning space around um, the importance of reflection after a stretching experience. And so I've taken those to heart and I really try and do some like yeah, big reflection, journaling, and sharing what I've learned after I've gone on a climbing experience. <clears throat> I would say, um, like Jessica, I've been incredibly lucky to find mentors, coaches, colleagues all along the way. And for me, they've been really helpful at helping me uh, think about whether I'm climbing, when I'm camping, if I'm camping, do I want to stay, how much longer, what opportunities might there be within that camping um, that might also be stretching. And so I would say in all of this, it's just really important to, to look to your network for um, really good questions that they might be able to ask you to help inform your decision-making. And I think um, over to you, Aaron, on, on any questions you might have now. Perfect. Well, thank you both for, for sharing your introductions and your stories so far with it. Because just hearing from, from both of you and, and, and hearing your experience and the journeys that you've taken, I'm, I'm looking back at at my journeys and my stories and I, I can relate to, and I'm trying to figure out when was I climbing and when was I camping? And I can easily pick up parts of the times that I was climbing, the times that I was camping in and hearing how you were balancing the personal life where that was more climbing. Cause that's a little bit more of the stage where I'm at too with it right now. So that's a good healthy balance as well too. So it's, it's a really good conversation with it. And the first question that, that I'm going to, to ask um, either of you and, it, and if you both want to respond to it, that's fantastic with it, but is, is how, because I know a lot of individuals sometimes spend a lot of time climbing right away with it, and then they will take a camping, camping position here somewhere with it. But how do you do the camping without affecting your reputation as a game changer or that climber where you're getting a lot of notice and everything else like that, but you're going towards more of that camping and doing something a little bit more that you're, that you're passionate about with that? How do you go about doing that without affecting that reputation that you previously had? Yeah, I guess. So I would say off the top, um, like camping can be sexy too. Camping is really different than coasting. And so I think people, and for me, and maybe others as well, perceive coasting a bit more negatively, like someone who's coasting is someone who's not challenging themselves or not seeking out new experience or not seeking growth. It's for me, like maybe aligns with the expression of like punching the clock or phoning it in. For me, camping is like being open. Maybe you're looking for new experiences at your substantive level. It's, it's not that you're not necessarily a game changer and like really contributing and digging deep. Um, could be joining a professional network, be volunteering to lead on a file. I think it maybe just means you're 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 picking something where there's 
where you're staying in something where there's a strong alignment between the skills you already have. So you can very deeply invest. And I think for me, I see, I see, um, climbing as, as like stretching, like I am working hard cause I am learning constantly. Like I'm in that, like 80% learning 85% learning. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. It's hard. It requires for me often, like a lot more hours, not necessarily like I'm doing overtime, but like, I, and, and I think camping is camping is different. It's where like, I may be in like a 50 or 60% growth and learning, right. It's like a strong fit with what I already know how to do. And so because of that, I'm able to like deeply invest. And I think actually you can, because of that, because you're like playing from your strength, I think you can actually make a big, maybe, maybe bigger difference um, because of like the strengths that you're playing from. Perfect. And, and Jessica, do you have uh, any other information that, that you would like to, to add to that to, or different insights or different uh, uh, advice? I or mean, Erica, yeah, I mean, Erica did like such a great job on like talking about how camping is sexy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's important to know that because uh, when I was camping, I'll give an example because sometimes it's easier to kind of be like, where, when did you tangibly camp and what did you do? So I camped at TBS and I went from working on major, huge projects that affected citizens at ESDC, at Employment and Social Development Canada, to working on things that were going to be a little bit more slow churn that we're gonna be affecting public servants. There's gonna be a lot of uncertainty. So I filled my time with relationships. Um, so I built a lot of, I know people like networking, I actually like building relationships. So if I'm going to be engaging with you, I'm probably looking for that secondary conversation if, it, if something sparks. Um, and because of that, I actually ended up developing a curriculum with my friend, John Ward, who is an indigenous researcher. And we did a two white seeing trauma informed approach curriculum, which we delivered to so many different departments. And luckily, my director at the time, Jason Lawson, he was okay with that because he said, you know, you're a researcher and a designer, and it's really good for you to actually translate some of the knowledge that you have and give that to public servants. And for myself, it was incredibly important for people to know that because we're working in the DEI space, we're working on anti-racism, we're trying to make this more equitable, make a public service more equitable. And as a mixed origin woman, it was so important for me to throw myself into that. So I developed a curriculum, I became a part-time faculty member at the Canada School of Public Service uh, for the unconscious bias course. I helped develop the human-centered design course for executives. So in no way was that camping not fantastic. And like Erica said, that climbing, uh, it's a learning curve. Uh, I have been captain of my volleyball team in the States. I have been in a lot of leadership roles. <laughs> But being a manager, it is no joke. Uh, and I have a lot of respect for my colleagues. Uh, I have a team of like fiery public servants that are equally, if not more passionate about service delivery and service delivery to all citizens. Uh, so managing that and making sure I have the skill set, but also the ability to support them, that climb right now, um, it's equally as challenging. But camp and climb, uh, know that there is time for both. And I really liked what Erica said when she shared about her journey. It's really important to have balance with your external, like non-professional life. I find it so incredibly gratifying to serve my community. 
I recently filled out a Title IX, which is something that's in the States that gives people equal opportunities, women and men equal opportunity to play sports. I recently filled out a profile for that. And somebody said, what is the greatest thing that you did since undergrad? And here I am like listing out like what I've been doing, what travels I've done. I've gone to Kilimanjaro. I've walked the Camino de Santiago. And my response was serving my community. And it really is, you know, building houses, finding people affordable, everything from food security to housing to clothing. Uh, my main focus has been young people. So even though I worked on the PM's Youth Service Initiative and actually took a break from that in my actual life, I went back to it and it really serves the work that I do because it really balances out. It, you shouldn't be all focused on your work. Like you shouldn't hopefully all be focused on just your personal life and collecting a check. It's about striking the right difference with your climb and your camping. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you for that. Cause I know that that's really, it's really the hardest thing because is trying to find that balance with the two, because you may always want it to be climbing all the time, or you may always be camping. And then it's tough to really find that balance because I know currently for even for myself right now, I, I do have a good balance where in the professional life, it's more or less camping in the moment with it, but in the personal life, it's more or less climbing right now. So finding that balance is tough because at times it does feel like you are working two full-time jobs at times with it here. And if you were climbing at both aspects, if I was doing it in the professional life and also the personal life, I would be burnt out completely. So it is important to find that balance in both areas and do things that you're able to do. And, and, and having these, these topics of this conversation with it here is, is finding that, that, that recognition of knowing when it is time to switch from camping to climbing, because I know from my example here, I was brought out from the prairies into the Ottawa, the NCR region there with it. And look, and now I'm back in the prairies now, when, when I look at it, and my time back was when I was there, I was in my climbing phase. And because of everybody else was interchanging in jobs and I was coming into programs with other individuals, they were leaving for higher opportunities. And I was looking at, okay, I have to keep up with them because you, you felt like you were at the same stage that you entered with them. If they're moving on with it, if you didn't move on, you were maybe, you're almost inside of you felt like you were a little bit behind of it. So you also had to climb as well too. So you were searching for those opportunities. And then once I realized that, of how much time and energy that is spent in doing that, I decided to say, you know what, I need to go back to do a little bit more of what I want to do with it here. And I found this, I found an opportunity within ESDC as well too with it here, where I'm working on connecting with my Indigenous roots here with it and being a little bit more. And I'm very, very happy to be essentially camping in this field and in this area because it's allowed me to slow down and be a little bit more authentic to myself and to what I want to do with it. And having that recognition, it didn't come till later at that moment when I, when I took this opportunity to come back, but I wanted to to ask both of you there was, was how did you recognize when it was time to go from that switching of camping to climbing or climbing to camping? Uh, maybe I can start with this one. You know, one thing that I recommend everybody doing, and I know it can be tough for some more, for some more than others, is find yourself your circle of care in the public service, which includes allies, mentor, mentors, and sponsors. Uh, so for myself, uh, I am surrounded by incredible and pre predominantly uh, 
visible minority women who understand my experience. And instead of having to like always explain the challenges or, or justify myself because it's acrobatic sometimes for people from employment equity seeking groups to kind of progress in your career, it's nice to kind of be with certain people that are, you don't have to justify yourself. They fully understand what you're going through and they're there to kind of like navigate your path. So I've become that person for, for my mentees or the people I sponsor as well. But when it came to really understanding what I need to do, I usually go to those people. Uh, and they're all at different levels. And interestingly enough, some people that I consider my mentors are younger than me or might be um, a level or two lower than me or in a completely different classification or, or work. And that's because they probably have something that in my mind we can exchange. There's that duality and it's, it's, it's really, really nice. So for me, it's uh, mostly having those conversations and doing that self-reflection as well. Uh, sometimes I like to tell people like, go with your gut. Uh, but I also like to say like, go with the facts. You know what I mean? Like be very honest with yourself. You know, Aaron, you mentioned the fact that you were like constantly kind of trying to compare yourself. And then you found the fact that you should just be true to yourself and be authentic. Like you're still so early on in your career. And the fact that you've gotten to that realization, it's incredibly going to be incredibly useful for you. So for myself, it's kind of like the same thing. Like, um, I, I was never one to compare. I'm like number three of four girls. <laughs> so, uh, I was always the really weird, awkward, shy one. Um, so the biggest thing for me was how does it feel right for me? You know what I mean? And like, okay, like, let's be honest with ourselves. What is, what are the true pros of being here uh, and what are the cons and how are the cons affecting me and harming me because uh, sometimes I've stayed in places uh, that have actually been harmful to my personal identity uh, and it sounds really aggressive for me to say that but it it really was it was like you value this yet you're staying here because you think this is going to help you move ahead but you're going to have to recover from that harm when you leave anyways so you might as well leave now and take care of yourself um, so it's really finding a mechanism so that you can stay accountable to yourself so that you can really self-reflect. Uh, but also really importantly, like I mentioned before, surround yourselves with people that are going to, are going to take care of you, you know, that are going to, and obviously you're going to do it reciprocally as well, but, um, I just want to say I'm incredibly grateful and hopefully they'll be listening to this and they'll know who they are, but mentors, allies, and sponsors. A big thank you to you. If I am five years into my public service career, and obviously I had a whole life beforehand that we did not talk about uh, and a whole career beforehand, but those five years have been tremendous because of those people believing in me sometimes more than I was believing myself when it was coming to the climb. So Eric, I'm a little bit curious about you. <laughs> what are your thoughts thank, on it? Yeah, thanks, Jessa. I would say, um everything you said, and I won't repeat any of it. Um, but I will say one thing that I'm really learning to do is to pay attention to my body. Um, I think so often, um, Western culture teaches us to be in our heads and to prioritize like, um, what, what our heads, what the facts, what is like smart, um, and do that. And I would say, I think as I get better to list get better at listening to my body, I think I'm getting an extra source of knowledge about whether where I am is right and whether the thing that is offered feels right. And so for me, when I've been close to burnout, there are signs in my body 
<clears throat> and it's dry skin. It's like, I can't fall asleep at night. Um, it's this sense of like dis-ease, like I can't settle. I can't sit and read a book um, because I'm always thinking I'm always at work. Right. Cause I, and for me, those are now becoming signs. Like it's been too long. Um, so I'm, I'm starting to try to pay more attention to my body and, um, yeah. And, and this, the signs that it might be telling me that it's either time to move on and choose something stretching, um, and, and like a more climbing time or whether it's time to choose something camping. Um, and so I, I'm trying to listen to that. And the other thing that I would say as a free agent, I have the ability to leave an assignment with only two weeks notice. And I take that really, that, that is like an incredible privilege um, that has the ability to get me out of like tough and toxic situations if needed. But, um, you know, if, if you have a parachute, it doesn't mean you should necessarily use your parachute unless you're in free fall, right? And so I really try to be someone who make a commitment to a manager. I try and stand by to nine months um, and I wait after that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so I would, I would say, listen to your body, listen to your brain, listen to your, your, your network. Um, and then also don't just try and jump to the next sexy thing, right? Pay attention. Is that sexy thing right for you? Um, and, and, and maybe it's not, <laughs> that's okay. What's right for someone else. Like th whether that's like the pace of their advancement or being in the next hot space, like that doesn't have to be for you. You, you can do other cool things and it doesn't have to be, um, yeah, we don't have to have so much FOMO. There's this cool, a phrase someone introduced me to a while ago is called JOMO, the joy of missing out, which is like, we can celebrate that we're missing out on these, these inc incredible opportunities because we're actually finding joy in where we are now and other things. I might have to start using that, that new term with it around you because I can relate to that as well too. Sometimes there is where because you're so busy doing it. So that if you're missing that thing, there is that joy with inside of it. And, and also looking at two within climbing and versus this, this camping uh, new aspect and then this new era that we're going into here with the back previously, uh, I know a couple of years ago, whenever I was talking with, with, with parents or, or with colleagues, there, there would always be the traditional way of climbing would be moving vertically here with it. But for, for some individuals such as myself with it there and the world that I was in, like uh, my classification, my occupation group is a PE with it there. And for us, in order to climb into there, we have to have a bilingual aspect in order for us to move up with it at that point. And so I knew it at one point there, if I was climbing into there, I would have reached a blockage point where I would have not been able to progress any further with it. So it wasn't necessarily looking at more of that vertical climb anymore was now seeing more of a less a lateral climb in order to get around this blockage in this in this corporate ladder this this government ladder that we're all trying to climb with it here and so i noticed an area that where i was able to go to it whereas if i took a lateral opportunity into the indigenous work that i'm currently working in now i was able to bypass that blockage and continue on moving up the uh, moving up in my climbing uh, professional life here and so today we are seeing more and more of, of individuals taking those lateral moves to grow within their work within their personal lives 
to avoid those blockages or to avoid those barriers that have been set in place there with it there. And I wanted to ask both of you there, what do you think that when we see more and more individuals taking these lateral opportunities here is causing this change instead of just going for the traditional uh, vertical climbing route? Yeah, thanks. I, I love that question, Aaron. Um, I would say in terms of like a societal trend, I'll say, I think we've all seen changes over the COVID-19 pandemic where people have just realized what's important to them. So maybe that's hobbies, it's volunteer time, your family, more travel. Um, maybe it's some like personal work you're trying to do, right? Um, healing from trauma or, right? I don't know, maybe it's a side hustle. There's lots of evidence right now about, you might've heard like the great resignation, which is such a fascinating thing that's happening um, across lots of parts of the world where people really are just saying like, yeah, that job that I, I don't need that anymore. I'm just gonna make my own way. And I think that's so cool. Um, we're leaving like good permanent work. We are saying to the, like, the golden shackles, like enough with you off. I'm going to, I'm going to shackle myself to the things I love and we'll see where that takes us. So I think that that's great. Um, maybe that's camping in lots of cases. It's not camping. People are starting their own businesses. Like rates of entrepreneurship globally are way up throughout the pandemic. Like it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And I, th I think the great resignation while it might be scary for big organizations, frankly, including the government of Canada, I think we just need to wrestle with it and figure out, um, you know, how do we how do we figure out our workplaces so that we have an uh, an offering to these employee the potential employees that makes it worthwhile for them to come back. And I think that pressure on the system is really good. Related to that, I would say for me, one of the reasons that I've stayed camping at um, now, like largely an EC six level, for um, for a while, is because I like many of my colleagues have watched incredible and mediocre ex ones and twos work an incredibly large number of hours and frankly like most of them are uncompensated because they're not paid overtime and so for me a number of years ago i started to wonder if that was for me like like do i do i want that or do i want to like if I'm going to work overtime, I'm putting that in quote marks because my volunteer hours are in some ways like I'm giving away labor for free, right? But I'm doing that to organizations that I love and who depend on free labor to get their work done. And I think the government of Canada should not depend on free labor. Um, so I, I still have a lot of wonderings about that. I've not closed the door to the idea completely in part because I really, really love managing people, coaching people, mentoring people. But I'm really cautious um, and curious about whether I'd have the same quality of life that I have now if I was an EX1. Yeah, Jess, so curious about how you might be wrestling with some of those same questions as well. Uh, you know, it's something I've been thinking about so much. And, and I, I, you know, we think about horizontal moves being bad, but I actually don't think horizontal moves are bad at all. I went to three different jobs at the same level and felt different at each and every one of them and gained something completely different at each and every one of them. And, you know, for, for myself personally, uh, there are things that are really important for me in order to go to a place and want to work there. And uh, there's a position that was incredibly interesting to me. And so many people were pushing me towards it. And I ended up saying no, because when I was in the interview, I asked the hiring manager and that team what they were doing to ensure that they equipped and empowered employment equity seeking groups. Um, 
because I found that I've been completely failed by the system because I would have to like find a mentor. I would never be able to get it from my direct supervisor. Uh, their experience was not my experience. So it was really hard for them to probably equip me. And unfortunately, their answer was, well, there's, you know, these networks you can join and they can help you in your journey. And I just didn't feel like it was sufficient enough. And then I followed up with a question and I said, what are you doing in the DEI space with your own staff to build your own culture? Because workplace culture is really important for me because I've worked in a lot of toxic environments, both in the private sector and in the public sector. And when they weren't able to answer, I was just like, if you're not wrestling with these questions, even if you're just like, we're wrestling with it right now, but it's uncomfortable and we don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to keep trying to advance and, and work together. Um, I don't want to work there. And I know that a lot of my friends and peers feel that way. We would rather stay at the same level in a healthy work environment with work-life balance and where we're able to not just grow professionally and personally, uh, but socially, like in all the, these different aspects. Um, so yeah, it's not about the pay. Like it's, uh, it's about really what we're valuing. I'm really happy that people are geared towards that. Do I think some people are taking advantage of the fact that some people are choosing it that way to move their way up? Yes, I'm seeing that happen. And I find it to be really unfortunate because maybe they're not ready for leadership. Maybe they're not ready for that, that next move. Personally, I don't care. It's not my journey. But um, I do admire those who are like, I'm going to stick to what is important to me and what is important to my communities. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to let that really just cover me. You know what I mean? And you see people shine differently when they go down that route, you know, when they choose to camp and, and have their glow up be value-based when they're like, yeah, I'm really living my values. Like right now I have to say in my job, I'm living my values. Is it perfect? No, as a researcher in the government of Canada, it can be a little bit chaotic, okay? But I'm living my values and I'm living my values with my colleagues. And that's pretty unique. That was not done there before the pandemic. That was not something I experienced before the pandemic. Good yeah, question. It, it's like, it's like the, you know, there used to be that credit card company that would have like the cost of various things and then be like, you know, X, Y, Z priceless. I feel like that there's like this, this culture piece at work that is absolutely priceless. And when you find it, I will say it can be very hard to leave it. So for me, sometimes yeah. I've camped probably longer than made sense for me in terms of like stretching and growing my career, because it was so hard to choose to leave a culture that was incredible yeah and workplace trauma is real like that's one thing that I think we actually had to reckon with collectively in the public service um, during the pandemic because we went from being so routine okay I go from home to the office I'm at the office and then I go home and I don't know about you I've like because I, I've spent so much time engaging with the public engaging with people I didn't realize how much trauma had compounded about like just the workplace and what I've allowed, what I allowed in my own personal space, my own personal energy. And I feel like other people I've talked to went through the same thing and they're, they're reckoning and they're like, I want to heal. Like, it's nice to kind of hear people say, uh, I want to heal and, and, and really just be my true authentic self instead of like, yeah, I'm trying to be an EX one by the age of uh, 32. Uh, and that would be really great. <laughs> so it's nice to kind of see the shift. Um, is it, is it the majority? I don't know. I think the one thing 
that is unfortunate about the pandemic is that we're all so remote. So I get to pick and choose the conversations I'm having and I'm seeing the growth, but I don't know if it's happening in general. Uh, but I hope that the government of Canada reckons with the future of work being kind of not only collective, but also self, people self-healing, people trying to build something that is healthy and sustainable. That's what the future of work is, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Erica. I, I'd love to just like add just like one tiny thing, which I, I've left out from my story, but I, I think is relevant here. And that's that for me, something that, that I've also done from time to time is I've worked an 80% or a 90% schedule. Um, and I think that that can be a really amazing way to take care of you or to take care of your family or to take care of other organizations and people in your life. And so for, I guess in some ways that might align with camping. It also might be, um, and, and I've used it this way before as well, a way to experiment with a climb that you know is going to be fatiguing and to structure your schedule in ways that you'll be able to do the climb over that long haul. So I would say that's a conversation you can have with your manager and um, lots of, lots of, lots more managers are open to that kind of thing now post pandemic is like different kinds of schedules, whether it's part-time or putting more hours on fewer days, because I think we've discovered where, where it's worked well, I think we've discovered working asynchronously has a lot of benefits. And so I think that there's more openness to that. I hope there will continue to be more openness to that as we navigate a possible return to work site um, within the government of Canada. Um, and I, I know that that's one of the things when we think about creating a, a value offering that might entice people to become public servants, it has to include flexibility. It has to work for their personal lives too. And and one of the one of the, the final questions that that I know listeners are, are probably going to be having on their minds is is looking at that next opportunity if they are taking that that camping um, job or that camping experience for a certain period of time with it but they are trying to get back into the climbing aspect with it and when they go and submit their resume and they go to the interview and they sit down with that hiring managers and they view it and that manager sees that that candidate spent some time camping with it there what would be your uh, advice for, for those individuals when they're going into those discussions is how do they go about explaining that time um, to that hiring manager that, that they went for that camping experience versus that climbing one? Jessica, do you want to go first or do you want me to? You go first. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I would say when you, were, when you were talking in part, I thought about um, parents or people who do elder care, they sometimes take time off from the workplace. It's the same kind of thing, right? How do I explain that I've either stayed at one place or potentially have a hole on my resume, which is in some people might see that as a, I'm putting this in quotes, a worse problem. And I think the advice on that has always been, and I think it's good advice to talk about what was actually happening there. Be honest, be honest about the skills you were learning. Um, so this could be volunteer experience. It could be um, experiences learning how to be more flexible. I'm thinking if you're taking time off, learning how to be more flexible and go with the flow, how to make plans on the fly. Um, I'm also thinking, you know, maybe you took time off to, to travel or explore the world. You definitely learned something and you grew. So bring that to the interview. And similarly, if it's camping and you have, you know, 10 years on your resume where you were in one position, 
you clearly learned something, right? So, so don't, don't focus on the, like, I was here at this level doing this thing for 10 years. Talk about the things that happened that you were a part of. So undoubtedly you participated in multiple transitions in your workplace. So maybe you led a transition plan or participated in drafting transition materials to facilitate a new director coming. I don't know what it is, right? Maybe it's that you participated in, um, efforts to improve your workplace culture. Maybe it's that you were participating in founding or um, growing a, a young professionals network or a middle managers network, right? Like you were doing something. So in, I, I guess I'd encourage you to look back and think about what, is, what, is the, what are the sparkly moments in those 10 years and bring those to the table rather than a bullet list of tasks. I think sometimes when I look at resumes from people, I see like largely a bulleted list of um, like broad tasks. But what I actually want to hear about is like, what gave you joy? Why did you stay? What was exciting? And those are the things that you bring to a hiring manager. And maybe, so I'm going to echo what Erica said, storytelling, speak your truth, be authentic. Mm -hmm. um, you're an incredibly unique and beautiful person, and you should be sharing that in the workplace. Uh, maybe I'm going to share more for those of you who might be a little bit frustrated with their journey right now. And they're like, I should be here. You know, I have this show, so I should be there. We're, we're so good at doing that, especially when we're so early on in our careers. Um, when I joined the public service, uh, I had spent two years not researching, uh, but by being paid, you know, I had done it in the academic setting. Uh, and then because I was working at a staffing firm, I kind of did it for free because organizations, youth organizations needed that. And whoever asked me needed that. Um, but I always like to highlight the fact that a lot of what I learned in the private sector probably makes me really good at stakeholder engagement. It probably makes me really good at the HR aspect and really identifying the right person to join my team or to join another team. So there's a lot of things that even though I'm a researcher now and, and my staffing firm past experience seems so far behind me, I often think about um, those things that I learned in a non-research setting. So if you're not living your dream job, if you're at like lens crafter selling glasses, that was my story for a long time. Uh, just know that you can get to where you need to go. Just be really patient with yourself and be really kind. You know, like it's it's not a linear linear path to your dream job. Do I have my dream job now? Yeah. 100%. I wanted to research. I wanted to meet people. It's really the best thing. And also I wanted to manage, which is also exceptional because I feel like we're all just taking care of each other and trying to uh, live our best public service life. But it took me a long time to get there. And I'm really glad that I did. I'm glad I went into the public service in my late 20s. Uh, so when I talk to the early 22 year old, that's like, how can I be an EC6 by 24? I usually say, well, what do you, why do you want to be that? And uh, what do you want your journey to be all about? And, 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 and really think about that. Don't think about the levels. Don't think about the timelines. Uh, just like Erica said, think about the like sparkly moments. Think about the things that you would have not learned if you did not have those experience. So whether it's selling glasses for a couple of years or working in a staffing firm or taking care of your elderly parent or having a child, there will be lapses or times in your life that you will have to explain. Just whatever you do, be proud of them and stand with them very proudly and very authentically. 
I know that for, for the listeners here that are going to be tuning in to this episode and that are listening here today, uh, there, there's so much information and, and insight that has been provided here. And, and I want to thank you both for joining us today. And, and I wanted to wish that, that special thank you uh, to both uh, Jessica and Erica for taking the time to chat with uh, the Federal Youth Network today on this topic of camping versus climbing. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues and let us know on social media. Don't hesitate to share other topics with the Federal Youth Network for us to explore in further conversations. So thank you again. Merci. Miigwech. Thank you for listening to FYN Unscripted. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Visit the Federal Youth Network social media channels and share with us the topics you would like us to cover in our upcoming podcast episodes. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to FYN Unscripted on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast player.